0: You're listening to Fathoms, an Enneagram podcast. Discovering our inner depths, one fathom at a time. Hey everyone, this is the second part of our episode with Mario Sikora, a wonderful person and a phenomenal teacher, so if you haven't, definitely go check out the first part of this episode. It has some really, really, really great content, lots of wisdom. So here you go, second part of the episode with Mario Sukora.
1: I know you've got like specific zones within within each of the domains. And I know that, I don't know if I've heard this from you, but I know that Russ has something similar, semi-similar as well. And he names that that, uh, you might not kind of, what's the word, like, see yourself within all three of the zones within each domain yeah. i wonder if yeah. you do the same with that and i would wonder if too like maybe if you've got if you see yourself in heavily in two of the zones within that domain then maybe that would make more sense or you'd see that even harder but you know if some of that kind of plays into this some of this as well you know what i mean does yeah. it making sense
2: yeah yeah Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, yes. So, um, you know, I I, I know, Russ, well, we've taught together, um, you know, done weekend workshops together, that sort of thing. And so I know a bit about his approach to this. We usually talk about other things when we we, uh, train together. So he kind of, you know, we've developed these ideas independently, but I think there's certainly some overlap there. Mm -hmm. But to your point, I've yet to meet anybody who's quote unquote good at everything in a particular domain yeah. right mm-hmm. so if you take these different categories and i think he does five of them or something I'm, i can't quite remember but so if you take you know sort of these five categories in the you know the the navigating domain yeah nobody's going to be equally good at all of them and mm-hmm. some people some of them are going to be more interested in some so if i think about the preserving domain for example some preservers are much more focused on the nest some are much more focused on their physical well-being yeah. and safety and right. security some are real proud process oriented. Now some of that has to do with the influence of the strategy. Right, okay? right. Um, but some of it, you know, there's lots of reasons why this could happen, right? I mean, there are people who go into a career that can shape f- you know, how their instinctual bias expresses itself and where they develop skill and where they don't, right? Um, You know, for example, you might get somebody who goes into accounting, right? And so they become really good at the math part, the numbers part, the money part of the preserving domain, but they're not quite as good at the, you know, the the self-care part of it. Another important point is just because we have a bias toward a particular domain does not mean we are skillful Mm -hmm. at it. Right. This is really something important, right? Because I have been accused of saying that navigators are good at navigating or transmitters are good at transmitting. Absolutely not, right? I mean, <laughs> what I find because I work with pretty skillful people is that my clients mm. tend to be pretty skilled in things related to their instinctual domain. Mm. But there are a lot of people who are preservers who are lousy at preserving, yeah. Right. Yeah. So, th- so this is an important thing. But they talk about it all the time, and they think about it all the time, and their attention goes to it. Right. Okay. So there's a big difference between skillfulness and attention to a particular area.
1: That makes so much sense. Yeah.
2: And the thing I want to point out about these um, these zones or these domains is that they're not fixed categories, right? For me, these are sort of you know arbitrary categorizations right so that's why you know it, you know russ and i i think overlap in some areas and then there's differences in some others but the differences are not contradictory mm-hmm. they're just differences in focus and attention mm-hmm. um so i i, I want to be clear about that right so i don't want to i don't want to come across like i'm presenting some sort of dogma about the way these things break down it's just been a useful way for me to think about them right yeah okay? for sure so um, when it comes to the preserving domain, it breaks into three subdomains, each of which break, you know, I break down into three, you know, uh, sub subdomains uh, from there. Right. So, Ultra uh, sub. you know, <laughs> it, it,
1: it, Mario, it makes sense that I've heard you say that, you know, when you've got like two hours with a, with a team or a business that you actually don't do the, the strategies, you actually go to the, the domains you talked about the instinctual biases instead of, yeah, yeah I love that.
2: yeah and, and so there's two reasons for it, right? So first of all, three is easier than nine, right? right? Uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, that, that certainly helps. But I also find that in organizations, the instinctual biases have a higher payoff than the nine types do, mm. right? Oh. When it comes to immediacy of mm-hmm. use and practicality of use. Wow, that really makes sense. Because, yeah, so it's easy to take, you know, you take any organization, okay, you know, there's going to be an accounting function or a finance function, okay, Uh, which you could correlate to the preserving domain. Mm-hmm. there's going to be a sales function which you could correlate to the transmitting domain. So people yeah. can start to see this. Oh yeah. Okay. All right. I get it. I see how that fits. I see what that means. And they can start to see people. Right. So, you know, there, there, there are so enneagram teachers who would say that we shouldn't teach the, you know, instinctual biases independently of the nine types. That's simply not my experience right now. Obviously mm-hmm. it's not as rich to, you know, talk about, you know, both of them together and combine them. But in the same way, it's not as rich to talk about the nine types without talking about the subtypes, right? But, you know, Mm -hmm. it doesn't mean there's no value in just talking about the nine types, Mm -hmm. In my view, right? All right, so the preserving domain I break into um, issues related to maintenance, Uh, and that has to do with tending to the nest, you know, fixing the things in the house, uh, making sure the things are in working order and so forth, repair, okay? Fixing stuff that need to be fixed so it's in good working order Um, traditions is another element Mm -hmm. of this so what i have found is that preservers like things to be consistent Uh, i want it feels good to me to know that things are the way they were when i was a kid and they'll be this way when my kids are grown up sort of thing if you really want to understand the preserving domain watch the hallmark channel (laughs) <laughs> um, and, uh, my wife loves the oh, Hallmark channel and every one of these TV shows and movies has the same format, right? Oh, and Christmas is six months of the year on the Har- <laughs> Hallmark channel. And, you know, and there's these patterns and there's these consistent stories. There's just something comforting about it for preservers. Now, this is not to say that every preserver loves Christmas or every preserver loves holidays. Again, we're talking about probability, Rather than ontology. Hmm. Okay, yeah, that, that mm-hmm. makes sense. Okay, all right. So, second uh, subdomain is well-being and resources. Okay. Am I comfortable? Okay. Uh, do I have enough of the things that I need? Mm-hmm. Enough toilet paper, for example. And am I attuned to my health? Now, given that we're recording this in the midst of a you know, global pandemic. One of the things we're seeing socially, is societally, is everybody kind of diving right into their preserving bias, whether they're preservers or not, mm-hmm. right? And so they're running out and getting toilet paper. Okay? In fact, we like to joke that toilet paper is a leading indicator of preservers, okay? I uh, mm-hmm. like to go to Sam's Club or, you know, one of these places and buy big, <laughs> you know, packages of toilet paper because I'm going to need it. Right? But we're still and doing
1: so, it in the style of our type, right? Where I'd be like, hey, oh, you exactly. need that? I'm sorry. Go ahead.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. My wife said it all. Exactly. I'm just here for her. Yeah. Exactly right. <laughs> and, so, so, and, and this is the connection between the instinctual bias and the strategy, from my view. The instinctual bias is the focus of attention. It's, it's what we value, what we think is important. So I think of it as a system of values, right? Not moral or ethical values, obviously, but just things that I place importance on. Mm -hmm. The strategy is the theme of my approach to achieving those things. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. So somebody who's preserving, you can be perfect preserving, which means I've got to preserve it exactly right. Okay. This is the stereotype of the one, right? The picture's got to be straight, you know, everything got to be picked up, Every all the dishes have to be cleaned, et cetera. Okay. Now, Contrast that with a navigating one, right? Navigating ones, you go into their house and you're going to say, yeah, this isn't a one. Look, there's towels on the floor. There's this, (laughs) Mm. there's that. But they're not striving to feel perfect in the preserving domain. In fact, it's the thing they care least about. So they're not going to worry about it. They're going to be perfect, however, in the way they interact with other people. I'm not going to say the wrong thing. I'm not going to offend somebody. I am not going to violate protocols, right? So there's this interface between the two elements of the Enneagram, from my view. That's
3: good. To finish that point, I've also heard you uh, or maybe read that you describe it as your instinctual bias is what what you want and your type is how we get it. Is that accurate?
2: Uh, yes, yes. Okay. So the bias is, yeah, it's it's what I value, what I pay attention to, what I am after, yeah. and the strategy is how I go about getting yeah. it. Yeah, okay. Right okay. Third subdomain in the preserving domain is security. Okay. So am I safe? Now here's one too that's really important. So the second sub-subdomain I have here is relationship. Man, I really don't like the term one-to-one for <laughs> the transmitting yeah. or sexual subtype, right? I have seen it to be the root of so much mistyping because what I find is that people who are preserving are very focused on the one-to-one relationship because Mm -hmm. she makes me feel safe. Okay. I'll give you a quick story if I could. So I was in Spain, I was doing a a, a workshop and I'm walking through Toledo with my friend, uh, with a friend. Toledo's is this great medieval city. I don't know if you've been there, but it's a, it's a beautiful place. And um, now when I would travel back in the pre-COVID days, I typically, you know, my wife wouldn't call me. Right. Because I traveled so much. She didn't know what time zone I was in. She was worried about uh, waking me up, all this sort of thing. So so we're walking along and my phone rings and I see that it's my wife. And I thought, oh, boy, I better get this. You know, And I answer it and I say, hey, sweetie, is everything OK. And she says, oh, yeah, everything's fine, right? And I said, oh, okay, I'm just a little surprised you usually don't call me. And she says, no, you know, I was just thinking how much I missed you last night. Right?
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And so I'm starting to think, hey, wow, well, that's pretty cool. Yeah. You know, we've been married, mm-hmm. you know, 15, 16 years. You know, i still got it. You know? She's, <laughs> you know, I, and, uh, and then she says, yeah, because it was really cold here last night. Mm. Right? And you're always so warm. And so, you know, so I missed you. Now, that's how a preserver Right. <laughs> you know does yeah. relationship right mm-hmm. it's you know it you make me feel safe right uh you guys are probably too young to remember all in the family but <laughs> the you know a preserving relationship is edith and archie bunker <laughs> right okay right it's not you know angelina jolie and brad pitt and mr and mrs smith or something right that's <laughs> that's two transmitters in a relationship
3: ah, yeah,
1: yeah. All
2: right so Um, Anyway, so this idea of relationship is really fundamental to uh, the security element of the preserving domain. Mm. And then there's something that we've traditionally called risk avoidance, uh, and I'm starting to change that now to risk management, Mm. right? Because the risk avoidance is a little, it's a bit more negative than it should be, right? It's about understanding risk and mitigating against it. And avoidance may be part of it, but it is about evaluating risk, Mm.
0: So just to kind of reiterate and, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but that, Mm -hmm. that sort of, um, the contradictions still exist in the sub sub domains where I'm dominantly a preserving for, and I will wear my clothes until they start falling off my body, um, (laughs) where it's, 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 it's about preserving my funds and these things still work. So why do I need to get new ones? Um, But it's also or like uh, changing the oil on my car. I'm like, I think I could drive it a few more miles where it's also about taking care of my car. But there's also a way of trying to save money and, and, and preserving that side as well. Is that is that also accurate?
2: Yeah. And so so this gets to this contradictory element in each of these domains. Mm-hmm. Right. Because some preservers might say, you know what? it's been three months. I need to change the oil in my car because if I don't change the oil in my car, you know, I'm going to have problems down the road and it's going to cost me a lot more money and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Okay. Whereas another preserver might say, "Eh, eh, I don't want to spend the money right now. Right. Um, I can stretch it a little bit longer and so forth. Okay. Both of those approaches satisfy the preserving impulse. Mm-hmm. OK, Right. so this is why we always have to be careful about specific behaviors, mm-hmm. uh, right. because we might say, oh, look at him. You know, he's always trying to save money by going between, you know, going a long time between oil changes. So he must be a preserver. Well, it could be because he's a navigator and he just keeps forgetting to get around to it. Right. right. Or, you know, you might see the opposite behavior. And so to your point, uh, Creek, you know, we have to say, okay, what's behind this? And each Mm -hmm. of these instinctual biases has these contradictory elements because there, you know, there's many ways to skin a cat, right? And I can, you know, I can transmit this way or I can transmit that way. I can preserve this way or I can preserve that way. They're both preserving, but they're the opposite of each other. Mm -hmm. And this Mm -hmm. causes this inner conflict, right? In the preserving domain, do I treat myself to something and it'll feel nice to have this new coat or these new shoes or do i save my money okay. yeah. Uh, yeah. Right? Uh, you know with the navigator it's should i tell this story about myself so that they like me or should i hold on to it because it might be a little too much right? mm-hmm. so with the transmitter it's you know what i really love this but that one looks pretty good too mm-hmm. right? You know, I, I really want that one. And then when I get it, oh, but look at all the other ones. Okay. Which can almost seem kind of seven. I was anyway.
1: just going to say, I feel that a lot. I feel a lot of seven yes. in, in that regard. Yes. Yeah.
2: I have a son who's in my my navigating nine, I'm sorry, my transmitting nine son. It's all about bikes, right? And as soon as he gets a new bike that is the bike of his dreams, he starts, you know, surfing the web <laughs> to look for the next bike of his dreams.
1: Right? Uh, so, I love I love parking. this so much, Mario. This is this is what um, I s- I like to say a lot that uh, the person is what contextualizes the type, and it, it just, or or the the uh, instinctual bias, and it just feels like that's what we're naming here. We're we're talking about human yeah. beings, first and foremost, yes. that are the nuance here. That's what makes the nuance. That's that's what I just hear all over this stuff. Love it.
2: I, I, yeah, and and I, and I love thinking about it that way too. Right. I mean, it's 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 not it's not about what's on the page. It's about you know, what's happening to this person in front of you, right? Mm-hmm. What's going on in them that's making them do these things or inspiring to do these things? And why am I reacting the way I am to it? Mm-hmm. You know, that's that's where the beauty of this stuff is. So in the navigating domain, we have three subdomains. The first one is about trust and reciprocity. It's information exchange. You know, we talked about the gossip thing earlier. But when you think from an evolutionary perspective, why information is important, is because it lets me know who I can trust and who I can't. And that's really important for us, right? I mean, that's, you know, we're, we're, again, we're a social species and for our ancestors, that was really important, right? If I share food with you today and put myself at risk in doing so, are you going to share food with me when I need you to? Mm. Okay. And if you don't, how am I going to make sure that you, you know, we, I get some sort of justice in this. And one of the ways I do that is by sharing information about you. Okay. So if, if Seth Abram, you, you know, you uh, cheat me in some way, I'm going to go to Creek and I'm going to, I I know you win. (laughs) This is highly hypothetical, right? (laughs) Um, You know, uh, but, but, you know, if you do, I'm going to go to Creek and I'm going to go to Drew and I'm going to say, Hey, you know what Seth did? Right. And then, you know, now you're going to start to feel a bit of shame and you're going to say, "Eh, either I better make this right or maybe I shouldn't do it again because before I know it, nobody's going to want to interact with me. Nobody's going to want to be my friend. And that's a problem for me if I'm a member of a social species. So uh, information exchange, group coherence fits into that, right? How do we make sure that the group is functioning? Well, the way we do that is by creating mores and norms that people start to know about and people start to tune into and adhere to has to do a trade right can i trade with you or, or not the second category or subdomain is around status and identity okay who am i right where do i fit into this hierarchy so it's about pecking order okay where do i fit now not every navigator wants to be at the top of the pecking order some Types are more likely to want to do that, like an eight, for example, probably wants to be, you know, at the top of the pecking order. Uh, But we just want to know where we fit, right? Whether I'm at the top or the bottom or or wherever I am. There's an element of role clarity here. What am I responsible for? What are you responsible for? Uh, Again, this really translates to organizations very well, as you could imagine. There's an element of reputation management. Who am I, and what do you think of me, and how can I manage what you think of me? Again, by revealing information strategically. Uh, Finally, we have the category of power and influence dynamics, and uh, this gets into group politics, like we've talked about, and it's about being able to read the tea leaves. Um, one One of my favorite ways of thinking about this is the movie The Godfather. OK, so Vito Corleone is a navigating eight in The Godfather. And for him, it was all about understanding power dynamics, understanding how the groups work, you know, being able to bribe the judges and, the, you know, the, that sort of thing in order and the politicians to be able to get his way. Right. So it's understanding that uh, kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, social intelligence, uh, you know, being able to read people, being able to understand. Well, what did that look mean? You know, that he just made, right? Uh, Very often, when you see navigators together in a room, you can see them looking at each other. It's like they're sending a secret code to each other just through their eyes that other (laughs) people really can't read, right? And then it has to do with hierarchy management. Uh, How do we make this group work? How do we structure this so that it functions effectively as Mm. an organization? Mm. Makes sense? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it does. Hey, uh, can I just throw in here when I, I mentioned the movie The Godfather? Yeah. and you know, I hate to kind of take us off track here, but my associates and I uh, just started recording our own podcast. You know, oh, we got to compete.
3: Really?
1: Yeah. So,
2: yeah. Um, so, just so you know, so uh, and our first season we're calling the Enneagram in a Movie. Uh-huh. Okay? All right, and all right. so. So, rather than looking at characters in the movies, we are looking at the movie as a whole and how it captures the gestalt of either oh, the wow. instinctual bias or a particular strategy. Wow! Right? So we mean, just recorded, uh, yeah, we just recorded the Godfather, <laughs> and we talk about how the movie, the Godfather, reflects Type Eight, right? I mean, yeah, it captures yeah. all the themes, you yeah. know, lust, vengeance, you know, and all these sort of power. <laughs> and but we also did it with the instinctual biases. So mm. we talk about uh, the movie Saturday Night Fever um, <laughs> as a reflection of the transmitting yes. domain. Wow. Uh, sure. So
3: anyway. And what's all right, so,
2: what's and, the
3: name of the podcast?
2: So it's going to be called the Awareness to Action Enneagram Podcast. Okay. Uh, first season is going to be the Enneagram in a Movie we're calling it. Our, our website is awareness dot com. Yeah. You'll be able to find some information there. So sorry to throw my commercial. No, you're good. Oh, no. Your no, head that's head great. Year, we, want, we want to be, be yeah. uh, we want our <laughs> listeners to be able to
3: find you in all your digital oh, places. So, yeah, that's great. Yes.
2: All right. So uh, I was about to get to the transmitting. So transmitting domain, again, three categories, broadcasting and narrow casting is the first category. And so here's the thing, again, what people don't quite understand about this domain, they think it has to do with this intense one-to-one thing. You know, oh, I only have eyes for you and I've got to find that person who mm-hmm. is the juice. Yes, and. There's also this element of broadcasting, right? I, you know, the, the, the radio signal broadcasts out to everyone, whether they're listening or not. Okay? Mm. And transmitters, you know, they walk into a room and they're sparkling and they're outgoing and they're not directing their focus at somebody in particular. It's just this these things that they do that draw people's eyes to them, okay? Mm. Or increase the chances of eyes being drawn to them. Once they see that somebody's paying attention to them, That's where they start to narrow cast, right? So, ah, I got one. And so I narrow cast Mm -hmm. to that person. And then when I find out, you know what? eh, This one's not so interesting to me or that one stops paying attention to me. I go back to broadcasting. Okay. So Mm -hmm. it's behaviors here related to both sending out signals broadly and in a very directed, targeted way. Mm -hmm. And into that domain, we have issues around signaling fitness, right? Showing that I'm worth paying attention to. There's elements of seduction, right? I, I, I figure out what it is that will make you pay attention to me, mm. to listen to me, to draw you in. And there is this element of intense relationships, you know, the uh, the example of Mr. and Mrs. Smith, the uh, the map. Boy, you know, I keep remembering how old I am when I start talking about movies. <laughs> Saturday Night Fever and, you know, The Godfather, that sort of thing. But, you know, if you've seen that movie, there's that intensity between those two characters. Okay. Um, let's see. Asserting is the second subdomain. And in that, we put in uh, satisfying our desires, meaning going after the things we want you know, even the nines who are transmitters tend to be certainly more assertive than other nines. Okay. You can hear my transmitting (laughs) (laughs) seven. (laughs) Perfectly timed. Yes. Sorry. I know those exclamations
3: well over video games, yes, in my house, yes.
2: Okay. Uh, Issues of low inhibition, again, case in point, (laughs) right right above my head here. Um, So, you know, there's this – transmitters will say things that other people might think twice about. Right. Uh, sometimes. Right. They'll, they'll kind of, you know, express things and uh, um, they'll, you know, some transmitters will post pictures on Instagram or Facebook where, you know, the navigators would certainly say, yeah, you know, I don't know what I would have posted that picture right, uh, sort of thing. So the inhibition tends to be low. They tend to be more ambitious than people, uh, you know, of the other subtypes there. And let's see, um, the third domain is what we call impressing, right? Wanting to leave an impression. They want to leave a legacy, okay? The uh, dictator that takes over a country and starts Mm -hmm. building statues to themselves and naming all the buildings after themselves and starts having lots of offspring, that's an example of transmitting run amok, you know, this idea of leaving something behind. They tend to be charming, so charm is another category. And finally, there's this idea of impact. Steve Jobs, who I believe was a transmitting four, famously said, I want to leave a dent in the world. Mm -hmm. And so this is something we often see in transmitters.
1: Thank you. Thank you for taking us through all of that. That was brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. Well, one thing we wanted to also get to is just kind of naming and sharing with our folks your awareness to action approach. You know, I, I... I forget where I read this from you, but I appreciate how you've said that it's important to understand that the phrase "the enneagram" is is something of a misnomer when it comes to the enneagram as a model of personality, because there's so many different perspectives and approaches, right? And this is this yeah. is your primary approach to the enneagram, I and mean, we've we've kind of been naming it all over the place, right? But we yeah, we kind of we'd love to hit just some of the more detailed things about. Um, uh, sort of the, the awareness and the authenticity and action pieces. Um, and maybe we can get into a few sure. other things here. But this kind of pay. Oh, I mean, I'll let you get into it. But paying attention, rewiring your narratives. That those those sort of things. But yeah, can we can we hear sure. about some of that.
2: Sure. Yeah. Sure. Sure. So again, on the point, you know, about the enneagram, right? So, um, look, the 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 enneagram. Uh, in both positive ways and negative ways is an open source system, as far as I'm concerned, right? I mean, there are a lot of people who would, you know, kind of say that this is the Enneagram. But, you know, for me, that's like saying this is the true church, right? I, I just, I really mm-hmm. just don't have interest in, You know, dogma. I mean, if any body of intellectual knowledge is not open to evolution and interpretation and application Mm -hmm. from different perspectives, I'm really not that interested in it. So when it comes to theories and models, for me the question is are they internally consistent right they don't contradict themselves you don't say this on you know one side and that on the other and are they do they consistently match that which they are trying to describe mm. you know the enneagram can only prosper when people learn to explore it and to evolve it in a way that rings true mm. right that better or at least as accurately reflects human nature, respects the fundamental ideas, Okay. Uh, look, just like there's all sorts of denominations of Christianity and Buddhism and Hinduism, I'm okay with there being different de- uh, denominations of the Enneagram. Hmm. My denomination, uh, <laughs> in in that sense, you know, is what we call the awareness to action approach. And, you know, look, any body of knowledge has a tendency to be reflective of its author right? You know, you read Freud and you can say, you know what, this guy's a five, right? (laughs) And, you know, and you read Jung and you say, there's a whole lot of four going on here, you know, whatever it is, right? So my approach to this is very specific to me and, or I'll say reflective of me, and it shows what my values are. And those values Mm -hmm. are simplicity, clarity, and utility, right? Because if it doesn't work, uh, what good is it, right? If it doesn't have an impact, what good is it? If people can't grasp it, what good is it? And, you know, if people can't remember it, what good is it? Okay? Yeah. So so these are the things I strive for. Now, dogma number one is about the idea of the strategies. We've talked about that, okay? So number one, I think about these Enneagram types in terms of adaptive strategies, okay? Um, the second component we've talked about is the instinctual biases, mm-hmm. right uh, And how and then how do those two things work together? How do they intersect? How do they create unique versions of each other? Okay. And one could have an argument, are we talking about nine versions of three or three versions of nine? Mm-hmm. And I think it's a valid conversation, right. Now I stick with thinking about three subtypes of nine because it is, after all, called the Enneagram. And I, you know, I I, want to respect that, right? So now the next piece is what I call the awareness to action process, Mm. okay? And that is how do we change? How do we grow? And again, when we were writing the book Awareness to Action, I was frustrated with the lack of method in the Enneagram literature, meaning great on description, but... All right, beyond, you know, well, eights need to be more vulnerable or, you know, nines need to address conflict. How do I really work with this, right? What is a method that I can put together? And so I was reading, again, Naranjo and Sandra Matry's book, The um, Spiritual Dimension of the Enneagram. And they both, in both of those books, they describe the inner triangle and how it represents how we go to sleep to ourselves. And I thought, well, this is interesting. If the inner triangle represents how we go to sleep to ourselves, maybe we can just kind of reverse it and it tells us how we wake up to ourselves. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I started messing around with, well, what does that look like? Okay. And so what I ended up coming up with is that, uh, 0.9. So, so let me go back here. So 0.9, in, in you know, Naranjo and, and Matri and you know, the way I think about it represents how we go to sleep to ourselves, right? How do we go to uh, how do we go on to autopilot? Mm. OK, each of us spend most of our day on autopilot just kind of, you know, blundering through life non-consciously. Then we have these moments where we kind of wake up, right? We're kind of shocked awake by some anxiety, something startles us, right? You know, uh, uh, you know, Dante starts with, you know, midway through life, I woke and found myself lost in the woods, right? Well, we all have those moments where, you know, how did I get here, right? This is not my beautiful house, right? That's point six, okay? Now, point three is how we make that anxiety go away, and that's by creating a narrative, okay? We create some story, and having that story allows us to go back to sleep. All of us all day long are going through that cycle, right? Autopilot, shocked into, you know, some sense of uncertainty, creating a narrative to put structure on our world that allows us to go back on autopilot. This is not a bad thing. I got four kids in the house, right? I can't spend time being present while I'm brushing my teeth. (laughs) Okay. <laughs> uh, I, I wish I could, you know, I go to a Zen retreat. Sure. Right. But, you know, I got stuff to think about. I got stuff to do. I, you know, I got to get moving with this. So it's a good thing. I can brush my teeth, tie my shoes for the most part, drive my car without having to be totally present in a week. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now we reverse that. Point nine starts with awareness. Okay. We have to pay attention. And for me, you know, there's lots of talk in the Enneagram, you know, about being present and, you know, and I even hear people using, you know, kind of presence as a noun or a state or something like that. And that's fine. But, okay, well, what do I mean by that? What I mean is I'm paying attention to what's happening to me. Okay, mm-hmm. So I pay attention. Then I have to recognize my patterns. What is it that I'm doing? Okay? Um, this is where the Enneagram comes in, right? Well, Mario, you know, you're probably doing one of these eight-ish things again. Okay, Mm -hmm. Uh, so I start to see the pattern and I start to say, "Okay, well, instead of doing this, I want to start doing that. Right. So I create a goal for change. Now, all three of these sort of sub steps fall into the awareness piece of the awareness to action process. (gasps) Pay attention. Recognize my patterns. Set a goal for change. Now, setting a goal for change is easy. Changing is difficult. Mm -hmm. reason change is difficult is because most of the things I do, I do for a reason. And when you ask me to give up some behavior, you're asking me to give up some value that was satisfied or some result that I used to get through that behavior. Mm -hmm. And that's not appealing to me. So one of the reasons we resist change is because when we abandon an old behavior, we have this fear we're losing something. right? We're not going to get some fundamental need met. And what the Enneagram shows us is what is at the heart of that fundamental thing we're afraid of losing. So Seth Abram is afraid of losing his state of inner peace. Okay, I am afraid of losing my feeling of being powerful. Right? Mm-hmm. Creek is afraid of losing his uniqueness, etc. So what we have to do in this second step of the awareness to action process, which is what we call authenticity, it's a rewriting of our story in a way that resolves this inner conflict we have when we start to fear that we're losing something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is that clear enough or yeah. should I give an example?
0: I think that's, yeah. I think
2: that's clear enough. Yeah. No, okay. That makes sense. Great. Yeah. All right. Okay. So once I rewrite my narrative in a way that creates space for a new behavior, then I have to create an action plan. Okay. That's step three of the awareness to action process action. As an eight, one of the things I've always wrestled with is being nice to people. Okay. You know, you meet me, you might think I'm a nice guy, but a lot of the times I'm not. OK, a lot of times, I, I, you know, if I'm rude to somebody, you know, well, OK, you know, sorry, but I'm not mm-hmm. going to lose any sleep over it. Mm-hmm. Why? Besides just being a jerk, there's this narrative in my head that says being powerful means that you be how you want and people can't tell you how to be. Okay? People have to be nice to you. You don't have to be nice to them. So when somebody comes along to an eight and says, you know what? You need to start being nicer to people. You need to be vulnerable. You need to be this. You need to be that. What the eight's thinking is, get away from me. i don't have time for
0: this.
2: (laughs) But if you say to the eight, you know what? You could be more powerful if you're nice to people. Hmm. The eight says, "Hmm, tell me more. Right? And so when I'm working with an eight, what I'm helping them do is to understand how they can redefine what it means to be powerful So that being nice to people can actually make them more powerful, right? Mm. Hey, look, if you're nice to people, they're going to want to help you, right? Mm. If you're nice to your employees, they're going to work harder. If you're nice to your coworkers, they're going to be more collaborative. Now you're speaking the language of that person's fundamental system of values, right? And it makes them want to change. Yeah. Now, the trick when it comes to the action plan is it has to be specific and it has to be, I say, unambitious, right? Meaning, don't try to make a universal change. If you're working with an eight and you're telling them to work on being nice, don't expect them to try to be nice to everybody. Right. Give them a target audience. You know what? Be nice to your wife and kids for a while. See how that works. Okay? <laughs> or be nice to the clerks at the supermarket, okay? And make that your goal. Because the beauty of the brain is that it loves to habituate things. Mm -hmm. And what the eight starts to see is, you know what, I've gotten into the habit of being nice to my wife, and, you know, I accidentally was nice to the clerk at the supermarket the other day, right, Mm -hmm. because my brain habituated this behavior. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Right? So that's the process that we go through. Yeah. Would you
1: say, Mario, that's kind of expanding your expression or your perspective or idea of what power actually is then?
2: Absolutely right. Yeah. Cool. Okay. So, cool. in you know, my implicit definition, my non-conscious definition of power means I treat people how I want and screw them if they don't like it. <laughs> okay. Now, most states aren't even aware that they're doing that, mm. you know, and, uh, and so then you start to say, well, you know, a lot of different ways to be powerful. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. And, And the work for the eight, you could take that one idea and continue to expand on that. Mm. Well, what's another way Mm -hmm. that you can be powerful? That's adaptive, okay? That is pro-social. And then what's another way? And what's another way? And then what starts to happen is the eight starts to get this freedom from this fixation on power. And it starts to, again, it starts to leave you alone for a while, yeah. right? Yeah. And that's the uh,
3: idea. It, yeah, my mind instantly is going to all the other strategies, you know, like sure. my own. Yeah, there's more than one way to be outstanding, right? And,
2: Absolutely.
3: And, mm. and, and at times when I've, you know, tripped over myself, it's because I was fixated on a particular way to be outstanding, right? Mm. Yes. And not going yes. through this process. Of awareness and authenticity and action, specific action, right? To
0: yes. open my yes.
3: eyes, so to speak, to a different way to be mm-hmm. outstanding. Yeah, that's good. Yeah,
0: there's really only one way to be unique. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, you've learned nothing. So here's what, I'm the exception, obviously. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so here's what I always tell fours, Creek stop being like every other four. And uh, (laughs) oh, Oh, you cut me to the there. Oh man! So, uh, uh, Drew, you made you made an excellent point. So let let, let me let me touch on that a little bit, just to give an example, right? So, uh, you know, I work with threes all the time in you know my uh, corporate coaching, and almost always they struggle with delegation. Yeah. They struggle with giving things to other people to do. Why? Because they could do it faster and better themselves. Right? Now, the problem is, is that they end up doing all their subordinates work for them. Okay? So when I'm working with a three, I say, you know what? You've gotten to where you are by being an outstanding doer. Right? But now you're a leader. Okay. So let's think about what it means to be an outstanding leader. What are the qualities of an outstanding leader? And those qualities are well. I succeed through other people. Right? I develop other people. Mm-hmm. I delegate effectively because that's what an outstanding leader does.
0: Right? Yeah.
2: I don't yeah. tell the three, yeah, quit being outstanding. Don't worry about yeah. it. It's yeah, so good. No, that's good.
0: Mario, I feel like we've we've pretty much been in headspace the majority of this time, and I wonder if we can maybe take just real quick a slight a slight journey to the heart and what is what is the heart of mario um what would you want <laughs> my wife's been asking that question for 20 years. Yeah. sorry where I, sorry, is the heart I'm of mario on. that's what i meant to say um <laughs> no of, of any, anything that you'd want to share with with our audience with people listening with i don't know things that are going on right now or just in general yeah just in that heart space
2: for me um you know, I, I tend not to talk a whole lot about spirituality in the work that I do, right? Uh, and there's a number of reasons for that. But for me, spirituality is a way of just being a more fully human person. Mm-hmm. And it consists of three fundamental things it consists of the cultivation of wisdom, um, it consists of the uh, exercise and development of compassion. And it consists of um, improving skillful means, right? How to be an effective person. And so you're right. We've been talking about the headspace a lot. And one of the reasons I tend to emphasize this is because my experience is that the way into the heart is usually through the head. Okay? Hmm. What I mean by that is that our narratives have a tendency to constrict in a way that protects the heart, the softness, mm-hmm. the vulnerability, particularly with AIDS. Okay? So we have to start working with the narratives to create this space that allows these other things to start to arise. Mm-hmm. One of the other things we, we teach in our programs is what we call the nine core qualities. Mm-hmm. And this is where we start getting into deeper elements of themselves, very, very similar to the essential aspects mm-hmm. that um, Sandra Maitre talked okay. about and others talk about. And so the, the core qualities get stunted in us. And one of the ways we allow them to start to rise is by working with the narratives around our ego, right, Or our, mm-hmm. our strategy. Mm-hmm. It creates space and then all of a sudden we start to feel things. And it's really important. You know, in the work that I do, I'm always working with the clients to let them know that our emotions are signals of something we need to pay attention to. Right? You're feeling angry? Well, that's telling you something. You're feeling sad? Well, that's telling you something. Recognize it, feel it, don't fixate on it, but ask yourself the question of okay, what message is this sending me? Once we start working with the strategies, that's when we start to observe our emotional patterns, and then start to, again, sort of look at what are these emotional responses telling us that we need to pay attention to. Mm -hmm. Now, what sort of starts to happen concurrently is that you start to, you know, again, if we think about the eight perspective or some of the less emotional types, you start to start feeling these weird things, right, Mm -hmm. that are, you know, the rumblings of the heart. You start to feel this vulnerability. You start to feel this compassion. And it's by working with the narratives that we develop this space to start to feel, the willingness to start to let those things come up, and the ability to move toward them as something not threatening rather than away from them as Mm -hmm. something threatening. Mm -hmm. So the emotional elements of this are very critical to the work but in my experience and especially in the corporate environment you have to go through the head first Mm. yeah that doesn't make sense that makes sense yeah
0: Yeah. Yeah, 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 it does
1: well mario closing up shop here uh, I think we're gonna have to have you back because I think we could just keep going.
3: <laughs> yeah,
1: I got more questions. Yeah, um,
3: I love.
2: Yeah. yeah. Well, I have a feeling I might be your longest podcast yet as you guys edit this down. But, yeah. You know, so, even, uh, yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Well, I'd be happy to talk to you again if you want. Yeah. I, really, I've enjoyed this and I appreciate the opportunity to 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 share my thoughts with you guys. It's been a wonderful conversation.
1: For yeah, me. man, we, we didn't even get into some of the stuff that's some of my favorite from you, just the way that you do, like the the neglected and the support strategies language for the lines for me yeah. it's such a mm. one of my favorite ways of expressing that but um anyway cool. i i think uh we, we just would love for you to share with our listeners again where where people can follow you and how they can find your content
2: sure best place to start is awareness to com, and uh it's our it's our corporate website but we also have you know uh, I, I have a blog there i have a, a bunch of videos on youtube that are free that people can look for right yeah, those so are if great. you uh you know yeah, so if you Google me and, you know, look on YouTube, a lot of stuff there. Facebook, LinkedIn, you know, all that kind of stuff, I'm, I'm there. Uh, but the key place is awarenessaction.com. I will also say, you know, we're doing a certification program yeah. and uh, we're doing it virtually. And uh, I think our next one starts on the 27th of January. Uh, it's a mixture of, you know, some pre-recorded stuff, some live Zoom stuff. So if people are interested in that, they can find out more at awarenessaction.com. And uh, again, I'm I'm excited about the podcast. I'm, you know, as I was listening to you guys, I'm thinking, man, these guys really do it well, and uh, you know, <laughs> we're gonna have to uh, up our game here. <laughs> but uh, you know, but uh, hang in there with us until we get it right. Yeah. So yeah. Oh, just just so you know that uh, yeah, the next movie we're gonna record is the Big Lebowski <laughs> and uh, <laughs> type, type Nine. Right. So.
3: Wow! Mm-hmm. Wow!
2: the dude abides <laughs> this, this aggression shall not stand <laughs> oh that's
3: so good and we'll put links to show note in our show notes to uh, great kind of digital places to make sure because uh, I'm confident many in our audience will want to do like we did which is go on some deeper dives on your work because you do have some unique sure. contributions to the Enneagram so thank you for that
2: great my so pleasure yeah man my thanks pleasure so much, guys Mario. really uh, thanks for having me I really enjoyed talking with yeah, you yeah thank
3: you so much man
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of Fathoms, and Enneagram podcast. If you found this episode helpful in any way, consider sharing it with a friend or family member. We are so honored to be on this journey with you, discovering our inner depths one fathom at a time.